Welcome to episode 42 of The Front Lounge with Congos. This week, it's another grouping of three. It's Jesse, Danny, and me, Johnny. Dylan is somewhere in the middle of Nicaragua. <laughs> yeah, he's went there to a surf camp, I think, something like that, for six days, and then he's now he's backpacking around somewhere. Yeah, he yeah. did the exact opposite of... I mean, he probably did the right vacation for after that tour in the middle of winter. I went to New York, which was like back into the snow and the cold. You went to... I went to Amsterdam, but it was sunny every day for whatever reason. So uh, Nobody told Dylan he could drive 10 miles to Santa Monica for surf camp <laughs> and a bunch of other 10 He was that embarrassed. He was, he was so embarrassed that somebody would see his surf skill that he had to go all the way to Nicaragua just to make sure he didn't run into anybody. They have Instagram there, too. <laughs> You know, I was talking, I bumped into, well, not bumped into, uh, hooked up with Tony, our old bus driver mm. in New York. He was out there with Travis Scott. He's on that tour. And um, he said he went to Nicaragua about 12 years ago for a surf vacation at mm. the time. And that, you know, Dylan's been sending pictures. It's still pretty, you know, it's not fully developed of a country. No, because the well, I mean, they've been having all sorts of issues and stuff. Yeah, and so I can imagine, and imagine 12 years ago, it must have been pretty out there. Tony, yeah. Tony's a pretty adventurous dude when it comes to travel. Yeah. Um, oh, he was telling me that uh, story about this tour that sometimes Travis Scott has, has just like not showed up to a gig. You know, like they cancel to it an for... an arena? Yeah, an arena gig. You know, they cancel it for production issues. <laughs> but I mean, maybe I shouldn't even be saying Tony's been saying this, but I'm sure it's out there. Like yeah. He's like, we were there. <laughs> the trucks were there. The production was there. And, you know, maybe Kylie Jenner. Oh, right. When they were in the, yeah, yeah. Maybe she didn't like Wait, his no, hairdo. Wait, no, no, is, is he the one married to Kylie Jenner or is he another Jenner? dating or married, okay. I think, yeah. He said the... Backst- he says the amount that they're spending on their backstage. What is the incentive to do anything when you're billionaires? Yeah, I don't know. Like, I don't know. He says the production, everything is insane. They're on like 18 semi trucks, 13 or 14 buses or something. He's just driving, I think, merch or something like that. So that's why Epic Records wasn't paying attention to us. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> they were developing that. Oh, Travis Scott is on Epic? Yeah. yeah. I oh. talked. It's really funny. I ran into. Uh, a guy who works at Epic high up and he's like a family family man really nice guy we caught up you know he was a fan of ours when we were at, he wasn't really involved with us at um, at the label so he was all totally amicable not that there's any kind of we're not like personal you know about anything with anybody we've, we've ever worked with so it was uh, it was totally cool but he was it's just funny to see his main gig was the marketing and stuff of Travis Scott and it's really funny to see this guy who's like showing me pictures of his kids and stuff. And he's just a kind of suburban, normal guy. Yeah, you know, marketing the biggest hip hop tour in the world. Right and that now. explains why hip hop is completely dead. I think it's partial. Well, it's not dead. It's just mainstream. Yeah, no, that's what I mean. Well, well yes, what it, used, what it used to represent as the new punk and the new underground and the kind of fight against the machine, it is the machine now. There, yeah. are, you know, there are exceptions, I'm sure. Yeah. There's some underground dudes out there, but it's hysterical going into retail stores now with, you know, the air smells like perfume and it's just either hip-hop or alternative music. Mm. Alternative music is even lamer than hip-hop right now. Yeah, for way by far lamer. But um, I th- that's not... In indictment of a musical style, though, I think that like what is the term they use now? Is everything everybody's genre agnostic? So, I whatever is going to be some sort of underground thing is not going to necessarily be attached to any given genre. Yeah, it's just when you, it's 
it's it happens with all of them. I mean, punk did the same thing. Like punk became this thing that they used to sell skateboards to kids, you know, after it, after it was what it was. And now you could go listen to like public enemy or <laughs> NWA and that, and how it, it's swung. It's, it's just funny to see it happen. You know, it's obvious and it's inevitable, but yeah. Speaking well, of think- sad punk news, a guy from prodigy killed himself. Oh, I, I hadn't heard this, but which guy? Uh, the main, the singer. singer no, what's his name? I have to look it up. Name. We don't have, we don't have Cookie with us, looking up uh, facts. He's going to Joshua Tree. That was a breakthrough band. I mean, they changed so much, and I th- I feel like they, in the UK and South Africa, we were living in South Africa at the time when Firestarter came out, and it was just one of those tracks that literally changed the world musically you know yeah. and i don't think they were as big here i mean they're huge everyone knows Prod- the prodigy but i don't think they had the impact that they had in europe and other other places well there were even firestarter when when we were getting when fat of the land was coming out that we were late like and even jilt uh jilted generation i had a, i had, no, an, no, I had actually i'm actually single. a hipster I'm oh, a hipster on this because you had I, had a ta- I had a tape cassette of before Jilted Generation. Oh, a track called "Rough in the Jungle." Oh yeah, of yeah. There's yeah. it's they were it was more like drum and bassy ish, but yeah. industrial. Uh, see you, Cookie. Cookie's leaving us to go to uh, Joshua Tree. Have fun. Enjoy the Crystal Healing Room. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Later. Um, yeah, so that's the one band I was almost a hipster on. Yeah. No, I mean that. They will. They. That's what was so fucking cool about them is that they mixed all these things. They were doing break beats and rave and like punk and hip. They were just. They were. They were truly a weird mix. But they were the thread throughout it all was that they were like hard as nails. It was just. It was angry. <laughs> really, really angry music. It was well, it was you know it was usually the opposite. When we were living in South Africa, you would come to America and the, all the movies that we had just seen in South Africa were you know, months, if not years old. So they'd come out way before in America. Whereas we moved to Phoenix pretty much, I think the year or like a year after Firestarter came out, we had the single, Right. you know, we had some other older Prodigy albums, but all our friends, we were just obsessed with that. We were Prodigy proselytizers. Yeah. And then we came here and I played it to, to the new friends that I made in Phoenix. Nobody had ever heard of them. And then, um, then the album "Fat of the Land" came out, mm. and but that scene never really took off from being. It's was always an indus like that industrial techno-y sort of scene was always pretty underground here. It never went yeah. to the point where it was huge like they were in England or South Africa. Yeah, it's electronic music here until I mean it's huge, obviously, but more that kind of commercial house stuff has never really been as popular for whatever reason. I saw them in Chicago. And they were at a festival. I can't remember what festival it was. And they were the best thing there still. You you saw them live? Yeah, I saw. Yeah, where? I I I can't remember what. I can't remember what festival. Was it Lala or something? No, it wasn't Lala. It was some other thing. I I don't. I don't know what it was. But it. Um, they were fucking good. They were like, it was crazy the energy they still had, and the the you know the audience didn't quite. They got it obviously, but it was a mix of you know young people who probably weren't there for it so they definitely had that sex pistols yeah vibe to them which funnily enough the sex sex pistols were a lot more contrived than you get the impression that they were like they were just these crazy punk kids but there was a lot of thought and a lot of planning behind that like the the look even 
Yeah, it's, uh, that's what it, that's, if anybody hasn't seen Tales from the Tour Bus, you should go watch both seasons because it's really funny to see somebody like Jerry Lee Lewis, who is more insane than any punk band you've ever seen. Yeah. The guy's a maniac. It, the, every episode of that Tales from the Tour Bus, the first season is about outlaw country and the second one's about funk. Somebody's getting shot. Somebody's like, <laughs> <laughs> just really makes for great I, stories. I still haven't watched it. So this is the Mike Judge's animated series. Yeah. They, he just interviews people who are on the road or sometimes it's the guy, you know, if it if they're still alive, like George Clinton or whoever is still alive, they're in the series or it Bootsy tells, Collins. They and, tell tour stories and then he animates it. Yeah, yeah. pretty much. And it's really, really well done, like everything that guy does. Do you know, this kind of goes back to what I first started talking about. When I met Tony at this restaurant in New York called Shopsons. It was just like a breakfast spot near where uh, we were staying. And then I didn't realize there's a documentary called uh, I Like Killing Flies. Have you seen that on I've, Netflix? I, yeah, I've I heard of this. I haven't Chef seen thing, it. Right? Yeah. It, this is the place. It's, his name was something Shopson. And I just found it because it looked like this interesting menu and it was nearby. But then I did a bit more research and now I'm going to watch the documentary on it. It's this one of those guys like the soup Nazi from Seinfeld. You know, like he was this legendary chef Mm -hmm. where you'd walk in and he'd fucking insult you because you took 20 seconds too long to order. He just died within the last year or so, Hmm. the owner. They're carrying on the tradition because the waiter was a cocky son of a bitch with us. But like that's part of their shtick. And Mm -hmm. it's like... It used to have 900 items on the menu, and they pared it down to 300 or something now. It's ridiculous, and it's in a tiny little hole in the wall like all, all restaurants in New York are. And it's just... Did you ask for ketchup? No, but I, I, I ordered like uh, some kind of egg breakfast with potatoes, and then we got tater tots on the side, and the guy gave me shit. He's like, that's a lot of potatoes. What do you want all those potatoes for? <laughs> <laughs> and I heard him some like at the table behind us, someone was trying to order something but substitute cheese. He's like, You're like I don't care if you do that, but if I go back there into the kitchen, they're going to tell me to go fuck myself, so I can't do that for you. <laughs> it was pretty, you know, it was like the stereotypical New York experience. And then yeah. you go read about it, and so I want to watch this documentary now. It's about this kind of like crusty old dude who became this right. really yeah. well-known cook, you know. Crusties. It's like crusties. <laughs> remote, no, well, I, didn't, I didn't go anywhere on vacation. I just stayed here, hung out with Eve, and <laughs> we're looking for a new place to move. Um, but I did see um, Ben Savage twice in a row at a coffee shop. Well, actually, first it was at a coffee shop, second it was at a juice shop. You know the guy, Boy Meets World guy? Oh, yeah. He was just oh, yeah. hanging out. And, um, you know, it's one of those guys where you do double take. Is that really him? And then, yeah, it was, it was, it was Think him. Think about so him and Fred, right? Fred, Fred, that's brother. Fred Savage. Uh, Literally two of the most iconic, um, like, teen sitcom or you know sit mm. drama things of all time the wonder years fred savage and then boy meets world like that's yeah, just, crazy just well, i see i always mix them up right i always franchise. i haven't even realized that there were two different shows i always just kind of think of them as the same thing i watched the wonder years because they added it to netflix a, a couple months ago and i watched one or two episodes it stands up it's pretty good it's got real kind of heart pathos, and yeah. pathos to it that show yeah i mean you think about a guy like that who since he's a kid just probably made boatloads of money and literally everybody knows his name, knows his face. And it's very hard to think of him other than, you know, that character. Yeah. So we, we always talk about what a hard time it is to get quote out from underneath. Come with me now. Cause that's all people know us for, you know, we want them to hear everything else. Can, I mean, that, that's just a next level of 
trying to get people to see you a different way. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, it's a good problem and it's not something to complain about, but at the same time, it's like, holy shit, how do you, how do you mm. undefine yourself as that? You it takes a, I mean, what's his name? Uh, Ralph Macchio, is he in that show, The Deuce? Yeah. He's yeah. good. He's really good in that. Oh, he was excellent in The Karate Kid. Yeah. You know, it's like when you're The Karate Kid, that's also one of those impossible ones to get out from under. But if you go watch the original Karate Kid, he's fucking excellent as an just as a pure actor. And it's, you know, must have been tough trying to do that. But now he's in The Deuce. Also, probably pretty fun <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> to be the Karate Kid your whole life. Yeah, <laughs> yeah but imagine never how have many to fight pe- anybody for real. <laughs> imagine how many people try to start fights with Oh, them. yeah, I guess yeah. so, yeah. Um, every time you go to a bar somebody wants to do you know flying crane or whatever it's yeah. like okay I get it you know we are, a movie <laughs> but if, you know the amount of people who want to start fights with him there's probably 10 times as many people who want to defend him yeah at, at any given place we speaking of uh, child actors and that we went to the theater when we were in New York and we saw a play called True West which is a Sh- Sam Shepard play and Ethan Hawke was the main actor, was on Broadway. And then Paul Dano, who is... You did all the fucking sophisticated shit. Yeah, you? I felt like a real sophisticate. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, Paul Dano, who is from There Will Be Blood, you'd know him from, he plays the preacher. And get this. So do you guys remember when we saw There Will Be Blood at the theater in uh, Phoenix at mm-hmm. a theater called Camel View, whatever. It's like the art theater, you know, those five things. And how badly that movie was messed up by the audience laughing inappropriately thinking it's like this comedy because there was some dark humor and they were just, I guess, awkward or couldn't do that. They didn't know how to read. Right. So they didn't get it. Spoiler alert coming up. They didn't get that it was a dark movie until he's beaten to death with a bowling pin and they literally went from like, ha ha ha, oh, 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 that's what kind of movie this is. The same thing happened at this True West play. I won't give it away because you guys should see it, but same thing. Dark humor, and for the whole audience, like j- with Paul Dano, this is why it's a funny coincidence because he's yeah. in two of these experiences I've had. He was in this play. Same thing, laughing the whole time. Like there were humorous moments mm-hmm. that weren't like lols. I fucking and- hate that. that I, going to the theater, especially live theater, is the worst because people feel like they have to demonstrate that they get it. Yeah. So even if it's a, it's just a you know throwaway joke. People, there's always somebody going, <laughs> it's like, fuck off. I'm trying to listen to what they're saying next. You know? There was a guy behind us. Again, I'm not going to give anything away, but there was some awkward interaction between the actors, like intentionally awkward right. to create tension. And he behind us, every moment would go, oh, Jesus. <laughs> oh, oh. Like he was vocally, uh, maybe he was just so. Uh, there are people who are affected by it. I remember yeah. the the people who couldn't watch the British Office. Like, no, it, I can't watch. I've, I've it's worse than the worst horror movie for me. I, I feel so <laughs> uncomfortable. You know. Yeah. Anyway, you guys, if it if it tours or if they do a film version, they're always of it, doing Sam Shepard plays everywhere. Yeah, yeah, this was I thought quite profound <laughs> in a weird in a weird way, uh, and it took a lot for me to do that because it was actually spoiled the experience by the audience. I wish you could just kill them. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know who was in the audience, though? Uh, I was getting a drink beforehand, and this guy walks up behind me, and it's Chris Rock. At the <laughs> Yeah, he was standing in line directly behind me oh, to get a drink, complaining about how long they were taking to make the drinks. And he wasn't wrong, because it was the longest time I've ever <laughs> taken to get a drink. And then they give you drinks in uh, sippy cups, like <laughs> literally like, a, you would you, think like you would give to Eve. Yeah. 
you get a scotch and soda and it's in a sippy cup so you can't spill. If I was a bartender and Chris Rock was five people back, I would speed up the first four people and take long on the fifth person. <laughs> like, it's weird that they don't, I guess. Well, when he got there, because I was finishing paying for my thing, and he was there, the bartender gave him all his drinks for free because, and he's like, oh, you didn't have to do it. She's like, yeah, but you, because he must have tipped them like some hundreds of dollars. Right. So yeah. that's uh, probably annoying. You, to be him where like, you have to always feel obligated to tip a lot because people, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> have stories. Yeah, but if I were if if I were him, you know, iconic, super mega rich dude, then what you do is you just set a policy. You just say like, I'm going to tip a hundred percent or a hundred dollars or whatever. You know, like something that's big enough to impress. Because and then you don't think about yeah, it. Yeah, and you just yeah. you just make a rule and just do it every time. And never think about it again. Yeah. Otherwise, you you will have that sort of anguish every time. Oh. You know, That's how cool much should I tip? Because I want them to think I'm. Oh no! Yeah, he didn't. He definitely seemed like he had done that as a policy because oh. every you know every interview I've ever seen with him, he seems like a completely normal, well-adjusted right. dude. Which you know, he's one of the most iconic comedians of all time. I know that's cool. You got to hear him talk shit about stuff. Yeah, like he wasn't. I didn't. When I say complaining, like I'm not actually talking shit about. It. He was just saying, like, "Come on, man, what's taking so long?" Yeah. And like that's exactly what everyone in line was thinking. Right. Uh, and then also in the audience was Adam. Uh, who's the guy? What, he, he looks like Johnny Marlowe. Driver, Adam Driver. Adam Driver, who was in the audience also. So, I mean, right. this, I wouldn't surprise me to see this play get nominated for Tony's, whatever. Ethan Hawke was how does they How do they nominate a play that's old for a Tony? I think, well, oh, it's based for, on like, the performance? Yeah, yeah, yeah for best direction actor or and, uh, director. Yeah, I guess so, yeah. Um, lighting was really cool in it also. Huh. Anybody else see famous people? <laughs> <laughs> I, I saw, saw Wemble once. <laughs> I saw John Mayer and Katy Perry at a theater in New York when All right. they, they were still together. Always megastars who go out to the theater in New York. What's their... Um, to see and be seen. What's their couple name? John Katy Mayer. Perry. Brangelina. Oh, yeah. Oh. They did have one, I think. Right. Uh, she's... Is it the two most sincere people on earth? She's jumped the shark. Have yeah. you seen... The, did you see that SNL performance she did with Migos? Yeah, I saw the Grammys thing too. You know the the epitome of I've figured out how to figure out when people are overperforming because Miley Cyrus is a good singer and all that kind of stuff, or you know talented. But you put any modern person next to Dolly Parton whenever they do a duet with her, and you'll see how one person's got like subtlety <laughs> and subtext or intention, and everybody else is is trying to get a picture out of it. Which you know? is funny because she's. Dolly Parton is such a caricature. She's 109 years old. Yeah, she's like, <laughs> you know, she's such a she's a cartoon character and yeah, but she's still got next to her yeah. everyone else seems like they're overperforming and acting. I think it's uh, we we talked about this last time it's about people trying to literally feel something that they're trying to convey rather than indicate it. Yeah. And it's the same issue that exists in acting exists in performance in or in music where you're trying to show you're trying to tell the audience what they sh- should look for rather than just tr- actually trying to feel it i think i think part of it is is basically the advent of home video you know and the ability to see yourself on tv basically f- at a certain generation that became commonplace and before that nobody would ever see themselves on tv unless they got good enough to get on tv <laughs> right um you know you could look in the mirror but that's not the same because when in a mirror you you're, you're, you don't. It's not the same as watching yourself. There's on no TV. time separation. Yeah, it's 
it's real time and you're doing real time sort of lying to yourself you know of, of imagining what you look like in the mirror as opposed to actually seeing it whereas well, yeah so so these kids that you know they, you can become a great singer a great performer whatever um but if you start seeing yourself on TV from a very young age, then you, you get that bug of adjusting yourself to make it appear like what you think the other people or the pros are doing. There's nothing yeah. worse now than a good kid actor, I think. You, know, you mean like a precocious a, kid? Yeah, well, yeah. a kid that knows they're good at acting and they're, all their lines are too well delivered that they don't seem like a kid anymore. Like when you do see a good kid actors, right. like for instance, The Wire, they weren't actors yeah. You know, they were just kids who somehow were well, able no, to... No, some of them were just stage actors and, like... Yeah, like I guess so. It was, that was weird, though, because generally kid actors suck. Yeah. Well, don't suck, they're just, like... Well, no, no, I mean, I, I can't remember what show it was I'm watching where it's a, you know, 13-year-old girl who's a really good actor... The Ozarks and, or the kids in that? Oh yeah, are, something like yeah. When you just like they're really they're, you're they're, good, they're but good, I don't want to watch you. Like, like I'm watching a weird alien. Sometimes I wonder if that's direct. Direct. Uh, we always end up talking about movies when we're back in Los Angeles here. But um, I wonder if that's directing because like the whole of that that show, I had to stop. Watch. I don't really like the Ozarks. So I just stopped watching it because th- all of the acting felt the same, regardless from the kids or the adults. Yeah, so that I don't was a know. bit acty of a show. Yeah. Well. Some other classic LA experiences that you forget about and miss when you're on tour are, you know, I went and hung out, Rachel, Eve and I went and hung out with Max and his girls. Um, Max from, Max um, from Shitness. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, his two daughters. And so we went over, first we got a coffee um, while we were waiting to meet up in, at a, you know, cool little LA coffee shop. And I swear to God, it was, you have, You know the scenes in Barry, the, the show on HBO with... Yeah, um, it's about acting class. It was literally a scene out of that: a guy and a girl talking about acting class, and the girl's going on about, you know, I wouldn't tell everybody else in the class about this, but you know, I'm going to tell you because I feel like we have a connection. And the most cliche shit you would ever hear. And the guy's going on about, you know, normally, normally I get angry when I go out for something and I don't get it, and then I find out who gets it, and then I watch them and I'm like really annoyed because I don't think they're that good. But you know, so and so got this part instead of me, and he was actually pretty good. So, <laughs> like, I, I feel pretty humbled about it. You know, it's like <laughs> I, yeah. they just wrote that those scenes well, in be, Barry. That's what, they wrote it yeah. so well because it's just too real. I, that's you know, I if this is ever evidence that musicians just want to hang out with comedians, like the most fun thing to me that I can think of would be listening to Bill Hader talk about stuff or do impressions of people just in a, in well, a because comedians or most of them seem to be the lost sane people in the world in the particularly yeah. in the entertainment world because everyone else is so far up their own asses they got no sacred cows yeah they live for making fun of one another like there's no I guess it's like we've found on our on this tour with fitness in that like there's the camaraderie of not allowing people to get away with dumb shit or any or good shit (laughs) well yeah yeah but it it has to be you have to be able to just make fun of everything otherwise things become too self-important and serious and that I'm glad I spent so much time in New York because you do think like LA is the worst at this kind of overheard dumb conversation but Manhattan at least was the exact same thing everywhere I was walking it was it's just about different shit like it's business deals or mm. you know stock market but everyone there is 
It's, it's weird. Just like, it's like kind of douchey. There's no more normal people. I felt well. I I felt in Amsterdam that there's a, there's a shitload of like Americans and every, every everybody speaks English in Amsterdam. So there's so many people from all over the place. But the the Dutch were and when you see them in Vegas, they're the craziest people in the world. But there, they were like normal, just very chill. They're matured. Yeah, civilization. They were kind of unaffected, basically. Yeah. They were un. It wasn't. They were just normal about stuff. Yeah. It, except for <laughs> except for a certain of like, there's a bunch of old dudes with who still have a feather earring or whatever, and the amount of times they were saying just kind of dirty stuff, and I could just picture them being like, "Welcome to Amsterdam. Get your lube out. <laughs> come on, come come to Amsterdam. We got all sorts of lube." <laughs> Uh, what else did you see? Any cool stuff? I went to all the art galleries. I did. I did all the kind of touristy yeah. art stuff, and it was actually quite interesting. I thought I like. I saw some Jackson Pollocks, which I thought I was going to kind of discount because you know it's like abstract splatter art. But when you stand in front of them, it, I thought it was actually excellent. Mm-hmm. Something quite interesting about them. I like. Yeah, yeah I like big paintings. <laughs> that is, well, that is the secret. Yeah. Walking through these galleries. Bigger is literally better because yeah. it's you go oh whoa that must have taken a while whereas you see a little <laughs> splatter paint you're like I could do that right I mean if you saw like a little pyramid <laughs> <laughs> well we at the Met we there's a massive Egyptian exhibition there like overwhelming amount of like it, it was boring at, at the end right, you yeah. saw so much but they were a crazy bunch like, yeah um, Pete Holmes has that has a bit he did in this show crashing about. <laughs> you know, going to see art and if effectively it was, you know, I don't get art. I, I basically go there and I thinking about, can I stand in front of the painting long <laughs> enough so that people think that, Oh, he gets it, you know, and then I can walk on and move on. But literally I'm just standing there waiting the amount of time, you know, it was too much time. Then he's like, Oh, he doesn't get it. <laughs> There's definitely a lot of that with all kinds of things. I went to a jazz club and there's a lot of like, head bobbers who are head bombing uh for other people right you know they're not into the music they're just aware that they're sitting in the front of the crowd and that people might be watching them so they gotta well it'll take them like eight bars to realize somebody's improvising yeah (laughs) (laughs) the the uh see we get it um (laughs) the i went to fucking museums i went to the i saw all the rembrandts who i've always liked rembrandt a lot a good friend of mine and then we went to the MoCo, which was a modern something or other with Banksy's and Damien Hirst and Andy Warhol. Uh, I think Andy Warhol's really funny. Yeah, I saw one or two of those. And if what he was doing is just basically seeing... Andy like, Kaufman, not Kaufman yeah, like the art How world, much yeah. money and acclaim can I squeeze out of the pretentious art buying crowd yeah. then he's a fucking genius same with Damien Hurst he's doing the same thing I think I don't know, you know well, he, yeah I, he's either super annoying or he's a is a bit of that Andy Kaufman vibe because it's so ludicrous the paintings or the artwork that he does like it's so silly right that in its silliness I guess is where its point is yeah and also you realize he was on when he did the stuff of Marilyn Monroe, or right, he does those. He did the yeah, stuff. Like the he paint. was, he was onto the, the next wave of what the world is, which is this need to be topical, 
It's yeah. everybody needs to be talking about what's happened, what's just happened. Otherwise, you're not talking about anything real. If you talk about something that happened a hundred years ago, you're not you're not talking about anything real. It needs to have happened an hour ago. Which is so crazy, though that idea of people like we're fucking inventing shit now. Like mm. the Romans haven't like there haven't been like thousands of cycles of humanity that have gone through every stage of like uh, being oppressive and conservative and then liberal and crazy like we've mm. we, we've it's all been done before and then every generation thinks they're somehow revolutionary because they did weird paintings or talked about sex yeah well i went to the sex museum in amsterdam it was fucking boring because it's like talking about chocolate cake it's <laughs> it's, it's you i i mean there's nothing when something would in in your head is meant to be the most stimulating thing, you know, exciting thing, and then you go see all that's all it is. It's, it becomes instantly exhausting. It's like ah, I don't care. I don't need to see this. I don't need to see another sculpture, another phallic sculpture. You know, yeah. it, it, be, it makes the it makes it boring for some reason. I don't know why. Yeah, I mean that's one of the most common uttered phrases. I don't need to see another phallic sculpture. <laughs> <laughs> you can quote me on I've that. I've seen enough. <laughs> The one thing. Well, I, the first time you see one like a funny sculpture where it's this, you know, the guy's penis is the size of him, and it's like curving up into the universe or whatever, and the universe is a vagina. Like the first time you see it, it's like, whoa, that's cool. Um, it's weird, and it's kind of like it tickles that part of your brain which tick- is tickled by anything sex related, but then it instantly dies. It's like it instantly go. It instantly becomes boring. Well, if if something is getting or is interesting because of purely novelty, which is what I thought after kind of exhausting myself looking at all this art, was that if something is new... (laughs) I don't mean that... Struggle is real. No, I don't mean that a pretentious man. I mean, I just like, I got fucking bored of looking at art. No, no. okay, well, I'll keep your thought because the day I went to the museum, there was a fucking article on Twitter about... And it was the most pretentious title... And it was something like in defense of museum benches. And they wrote uh, like a three-page article about how people get tired at the museum because it's like the mall. You know, it's like anything with the lighting where you're walking around. You don't really want to be there. But, but not, it was a, yeah. But not just that. Like not everything that got – there's particularly in New York or these big cities where, you know, it's like the Met. And they decided to put these paintings on a wall. It's just a guy that decided these paintings are worth going on a wall somewhere. It you know, it could also just be hotel art and shit. Like, it, so you do get kind of exhausted, but I felt like there's this, if it's just based on novelty, then you have to be the most novel. And that's why when you see like the the first person to do some completely abstract splatter painting or whatever it was, why that seems good and then you see someone do it five years later and it's clearly derivative it's so pathetic you know yeah i don't it's been as opposed to like if someone does tries to paint um or or you were saying about a lot of the eastern art you saw like if someone's again trying to represent some kind of universal principle they're rehashing it like obviously it's not new but it's they're still trying to approach something that is deeper and more profound they're not just trying to get like the shock factor of the novelty of like what if we did this you know like that has to be novel like you have to be the first at that otherwise it kind of defeats the purpose it feels like i 
I think that visual art is harder for to have any judgment about, you know, than, for instance, music, because I think the part of us that's stimulated by something visual is so now overstimulated in the world because of you know graphics and computers and screens and and the just the height of, of visual stimulation that can occur in your everyday life. Like, how do you? How do you even break into that? You know, your brain at a certain point has to probably slow down and shut down and say, okay, well, I'm only letting this much in today. Otherwise, we fucking overwhelmed, you know? Yeah. Whereas sound, obviously, you, we're, we hear more music. We hear more sound, more noise than ever before. But um, there's still like this direct thing where the sound can go into your ears and then into your body and immediately sort of provoke a reaction. Now, I know that some people claim to have that to visual art, um, and I and I'm not saying that I don't, but I just don't think it's on the same level for most people. I think most people are much more uh, directly and viscerally um, provoked by sound. It's or, linear. You you can't listen to eighty songs at a time. You have to listen to one in the time that it takes to listen to a song. Whereas you can look at shit. That's or, why a movie works because that's why I find. I find I am receptive to visual art, but in the context of a movie, especially if you're in a proper like theater, like if somebody goes to a museum in a movie. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. The, but you're, it's happening linearly, so you're not. It, it's the 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 contrast or whatever, or the kind of whatever whatever that is is. Um, it's an experience over time, yeah. and well, I think also it kind of brings you know the sort of imprints of storytelling, we, we seem to have the p- pieces of the puzzle in us to accept storytelling. Storytelling has existed since humans have existed. And um, by this point, I would say that we've probably got all kinds of patterns printed into us where we're ex- we are ready to accept certain kinds of stories and they make sense and they stimulate us in a certain way. You know, the hero story or archetypal stories. Um, and it's probably the same for music. We're, we're primed for these experience, experiences to come in and trigger certain emotions. Um, whereas it's more, it's less, I think it's just less defined and it's more subjective in, in visual art. Well, the m- mechanism of the receiving something visually is immediately more associative. Like obviously music can be and is most of the time associative, but your visual brain is, it's, it's the way it, your brain deals with it is immediately just trying to make connections. Well, what am I seeing? What does this represent? How is this like something else? It's the speed of light, mate. Yeah, it's the what? The speed of light. Yeah, no, I just mean that you see, like, it goes through a different apparatus, I think, initially. Mm -hmm. A different filter system. A different filter system, and it's more intellectually based because your brain has to process visual stimulus. You've also got a lot more capacity for it because you need it. It's the most like processor intensive or whatever. Well, yeah, I, we walked into a couple rooms where there were some photography exhibits, you know, amazing and you photography. Out. Yeah, but I, it was immediately like in this in <laughs> Instagram, Instagram age, yeah. like what do I need to see more? Sh- I, mean, I kind of felt that about a lot of everything. I mean, some of the paintings and some of the great things that everyone seems to have agreed are greats did seem to stand out. Again, I don't know whether that's associative or not. Mm. I, some of them I felt weren't. I felt like I, I actually understood perhaps why this was so acclaimed, certain painters. Yeah. But it did feel in this Instagram world, like, 
who the fuck needs another thing to, to look at? The um, yeah, the I felt that Rembrandt was clearly a master, and I don't know if it has. You know, you'd have to be in the right place and kind of quiet enough for it to have some sort of emotional deep impact on you. But they did have an effect in that you can't look at his paintings without realizing that this guy has studied not just his, uh, his art and all that and his techniques, but like he studied people because he's captured people. And just to identify the way a person stands and and then convey that to a person, it means you've Pre-camera. really... Pre-camera. Huh? What's that? Pre-cameras. Yeah, yeah. He's really, he's really looked at people. He's really looked at stuff. And, is you know, it's not just accidental he's categorized the way they fucking look when they are sad or when they're this or whatever and he's got a deep understanding of it and then to convey it is it's pretty clear yeah i i guess that would be the definition of a slightly higher form of art is its ability to convey something more accurately and more universally yeah across people Uh, and then you go into the gift shop and there's all these books about rembrandt and i picked up the first one that i saw and the first page, like, you know, when they start the book with a quote on a white page, and it was Alicia along... Keys. Yeah, it was along the lines of talking about art is pointless. And then it was this fucking huge, thick book, and it was all about Rembrandt's eyes. That's the, the only thing the book talked about was how he painted eyes, which is amazing. You know, he paint, he's a great painter of eyes, but you shouldn't start your book with talking about art is pointless and then write a whole book. <laughs> That's funny. Um, we, I had some amazing food in New York. I would, I think, it, food generally is better in New York than LA. Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, there's certain things you can't get there that you can get here, and it's pretty close on a lot of fronts. But there's the competition there is just insane. Like, you mm. know, you and every restaurant's busy. You cannot fuck around with like shit food like you can in some cities. I think. I think. Fresh food, you know, like truly fresh food is better on the West Coast. Yeah. Um, in Amsterdam at the grocery stores, they have these automatic orange juice machines and then just a rack of plastic bottles. And you go there and you just hold down the lever and it squeezes oranges for you into the thing. And it was three euro for a massive thing of fresh orange juice. It was awesome. Yeah. <laughs> we got... Uh, so I, I was talking to Michelle... She came to watch Eve, and she said you went to Greek food three times, and you skipped Bati, the Indian place. Yeah, well, we didn't. It wasn't intentional. We just were such gluttons that we ate so much that I couldn't actually consider eating another big meal. Uh, we no fuck off. Yeah, I mean, it was <laughs> like another that. fucking thing because you walk a lot and it was cold, so you are actually burning energy. But then you'd end up, you know, like all the arguments about where the best pizza is and all that. Like, it, there's no argument about it. Really, yeah. objectively speaking, New York has the best pizza, but it's always funny when people are trying it's in to the fig- water. Yeah, they're always trying to figure <laughs> out what it is. Like it's in the water, and like I'm sure like everything plays into the chemistry of the dough. It's just they just fucking make it better. Like they're not yeah. trying. They're not like pussyfooting around with the sauce and with the like the ingredients. I think it's it literally comes down to how many people want to eat it at any given time. So it attracts more pizza makers, and therefore better competition and better. You know, and not to mention the tradition of it, but like nobody fucking eats pizza here in LA. It's like, oh, mm. once a month, I'm going to go out and get a gluten free pizza. You know, yeah. so there's no demand for it. And it's also related to the entire attitude. Like, you go to Artichoke, 
I don't well at least when we were there. I just remember the way they deal with people in line. It's like, hey, you're next. What do you want? Yeah. And if you're dealing with that, if that's your general attitude, then the kind of food that cuts through that your your general outlook on life needs to be kind of strong and to the point. Yeah. I, I uh, there was a vegetarian Szechuan restaurant that we went to there because it's hard. Like Szechuan food, you can find a lot of vegetables on that, but obviously a big portion of it is like pork intestines and right. like all that stuff that I don't eat. But there was a vegan place that did it or vegetarian place that did it, not with fake meats or anything, just with uh, other ways of doing it that was fucking excellent. And it made me think I want to investigate Szechuan food here in L.A. And, you know, when you see Chinatown in L.A., everyone thinks of like uh, the Rush Hour 2 movie, like all the, all the famous Chinatown scenes is of the one right near downtown with all the dragons and everything but uh in fact johnny morrow told me this i didn't know this but the real chinatown like where the majority of the chinese population is in la now is in monterey park in alhambra which is east east of east la Mm. and i was i just did a yelp search for szechuan restaurants there it's fucking insane like it's it's the big i've it's south of pasadena yeah south of pasadena and that is it looks to be the size of Koreatown here, which is giant and just Chinese. And I mean, there were like 40 just Szechuan restaurants. Have you you been to, um, it's not that far east. It's just in, it's just in Silver Lake. I think it's called the Good Luck Bar. I haven't been there. I've used to drive by. It's cool. It's like a, um, it's all that stuff that, it's all the, the, the core is all kind of, Straight out of the sixties, like sixties um, stereotype of right, Chinese. Yeah. But I think it's run. It was run by Chinese. Yeah, it wasn't yeah. like. But I, anyway, I want to go out there to Monterey Park in Alhambra and just go because there's also there's a Buddhist uh, monastery that serves food there. Apparently, yeah, <laughs> it's it's just crazy. The massive, it's it's there's hard. A Buddhist to, sex museum there. <laughs> <laughs> it's got one painting, <laughs> the creation of the universe. Yeah. <laughs> God, that guy God fucked us. <laughs> um, what else? That's. I mean, that's about it. We've been. We just. We've taken about a week or t- so off. Dylan to get back soon. We'll get back into the studio, do some more recording, and some hopefully some more music videos and I wrote lyric a, videos. I wrote for, a list of shit we have to do in a physical notebook, you know, as opposed to an iPhone note. So that's when I. That's when I'm serious. Is like I'm going to commit this to paper. <laughs> And uh, it's a bunch of to-do shit for us and and the band and, uh, you know, 1929 Part 1, we're still going, two, 2 and 3 coming out. Uh, tell your fucking friends about Basco, for God's sake. You know, people love that show and not enough people have seen it. So if you're listening to this and you haven't watched it, go watch it and then tell your friends about it. Kenny, like, we were on the bus for six weeks with fitness they heard us every single night tell our VIP and tell the audience, hey, guys, go watch Buskull. And it became this running joke where they didn't want to watch it, you know, and then finally they watched it or Kenny watched it. And I think well, he kept saying that to us when he was with us, but then they flew home for a day. They, um, bef- off, where, where was it? Off to Salt Lake because they all live here. So they flew home and he's been on tour for five weeks. With us. With us. He gets home for one day to see his wife, and he's he's watching bus call. <laughs> <laughs> yes, he just couldn't get enough Congress yet yeah. to watch us on a documentary. That was quite astonishing. The amount of our VIPs who are clearly like our. 
biggest fans. They spend a lot of money to come see our VIP experience and all that. The amount that had not even heard of Bus Call, let alone, I, we understand it's a big commitment to go watch eight episodes in an age where like Netflix is putting out 15 shows an hour. But just the amount of people that had not heard of it and yet we're coming to like spend lots of money at VIP. It's, mm-hmm. it, was, it was just uh, obviously it's hard to get the word out and that's what I think what we're struggling with and that's what we're going to keep trying to push this uh, bus call Speaking on everybody. Of, uh, <clears throat> One, oh, sorry, go ahead. I, I watched, have you guys seen the, the HBO promo that plays in front of their shows for all the new stuff that's coming? They've got like 50 shows. New, it's like, like a the, fuckload of yeah, stuff. Yeah. Uh, and so a lot of it looks pretty good. But um, <laughs> yeah, that's what we're, I mean, what we're up against is every single network is streaming content and we're like hey watch our documentary it it's about a band yeah. <laughs> i'll tell you what we don't need another is like another english made show about kids with superpowers that have grown up and have to meet up like every week it seems like there's one of those right. and they're all done at that you should watch like, the flat earth documentary about not it's not about the earth being flat it's about flat earthers uh, <laughs> it's it's okay it's like it's it's not, i don't know how well done it is but it's inherently fascinating because the people are so bizarre and that's fucking weird. Okay, I got something else. So um, we took Eve to see Cinderella. <laughs> it was the first time at a movie theater, and they were playing like classic Disney stuff. And uh, watching it in that context, I, I get like the the sort of modern feminist take on Disney stuff. You know, mm-hmm. it is very. It's like you're gonna be a princess. All you gotta do is wait around for your prince, and he'll make you worthwhile. You know, <laughs> right, it's yeah. like. Um, but at the same Which time, is true. I, I, it, it, <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't think D- Disney stuff is completely devoid of anything meaningful. But um, anyway, they played the fucking trailer for Lion King, the new Lion King. It's a live action or is... No, it's, it's like, animated. But holy sh- the animation is literally out of this world. I've never seen anything like John, it. Isn't John Favreau directing that? I think uh, yeah, so, yeah, I believe so. Yeah. Uh, it seems like it's probably going to be pretty close to the other... Yeah, I'm uh, sure the, not the original animation. It, yeah. But Jesus, I have never seen animation like uh, this in my uh, life. I haven't even seen like, the trailer yet. I'll go see that because I don't really like animated movies, but that one's too classic of a. Well, so to see that in a theater, I imagine yeah. it would be awesome. Will Smith is the genie. Wait, in, uh, are they doing reading? Are they doing Aladdin? Aladdin? Oh, I'm mixing up stories. Wait, is there a genie? <laughs> <laughs> that's oh, yeah. Aladdin. Oh yeah, that's what I mean. Will Smith is the genie in Aladdin. Uh, oh, did, why did I think there was a genie in Lion King? <laughs> <laughs> well, because he probably like the, all those Disney stories follow the same like mythology, you know. Like there yeah, probably yeah. is the equivalent of the. It was like the the little warthog or whatever is probably the equivalent. Never mind. Of the there's gene. only animals in James Lion King. Earl, right? uh, they had James Earl Jones for Simba's dad. Uh, same. James Earl Jones still gets all the voiceover work for everything. Yeah, I think he did the original. The f- oh no! Wait, wait. Am I thinking of, of James Earl Jones or? No, sorry, Morgan Freeman. Um, wait, who's doing <laughs> what? Robin Williams is playing the genie. No, oh, yeah. Lion King. Or well, at least in the trailer. <laughs> Fuck no, I'm no. I'm, That's what I'm saying. They're the I'm same movies. <laughs> I'm no. I'm confusing my. No, I'm not talking about Aladdin. I'm talking about the old Lion King and the new Lion King. I think you might be right. It was James Earl Jones. Like, yeah, but now I'm wondering if I heard Simon. if I heard James Earl Jones or Morgan Freeman doing the voiceover in the new trailer. I can't. No, I, no, I don't have to look that up. Huh. Um, probably James Earl Jones. Here's here's an actually interesting thing I saw on Netflix. Uh, it's Larry Charles's uh, Dangerous World of Comedy or something like that. It's a four part little docu series on comedy around the world and the various dangerous aspects. So, like in 
Baghdad comedians, you know, making fun of and dealing with their political situation there with terrorist groups and all that. And it's fucking insane when you see that compared to the way our poor artists here in America are like, you know, like I got in trouble on Twitter and someone shouted at me like these people are facing death if yeah. they make the, the wrong kind of joke. So that's a really, really interesting documentary. Like he goes around the world to like Liberia. With- has, it, has somebody died from laughing? But like the Liberian one, where they he interviews General Butt Naked. Oh, the same guy. The same guy who's now a preacher. I mean, this guy literally ate children. Right. I mean, literally ate children before he go into battle as part of a ritual in the civil war in Liberia. Now he's a preacher, and now obviously comedians are talking about him and the whole they're dealing with like the recovery from that civil war and everything it's a fascinating documentary yeah that's um yeah well i got nothing to say about children eating so <laughs> um all right well let's wrap it up here we'll be getting back to more regular podcasts now that everyone's back in la in the studio hope we get a couple guests i think kenny might come on this week or next week catch up and do a wrap yeah, up I mean, of we'll the tour see. he just he's, he just wants to say dude let's hang out dude let's hang out <laughs> <laughs> yeah, all right that was the that was the cliche spend six weeks on a bus with a bunch of dudes and by the end of it you're exhausted but like two days later everyone's texting like what you guys up to <laughs> <laughs> all right um if you want to help support this podcast head to patreon.com slash congos for two dollars a month you can get the ad free version plus uh, every now and then little exclusive photos or behind the scenes things so head there check that out and we'll see you next week